thanks for tuning in this week to Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church plant located in the Pasadena area. It is our mission to save the lost, to equip the saved, to serve both the lost and the saved, and finally to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting from the beginning of a book and working our way through all the way till the end. It is our prayer that you would grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ through his word. Well, it's almost Christmas, so we're going to be doing a Christmas message this morning, but uh, we've been looking through the Gospel of Luke starting in chapter 1, now we're all the way through chapter 20, and uh, Luke's Gospel is the Gospel that actually gives the most detailed account of Jesus' birth, the most detailed account uh, of the Christmas story, and so back at the beginning of Luke, we went through that, we, we looked at that in detail, and so that's the, the normal Christmas message that people give of the details surrounding the birth of Jesus, and the shepherds, and the wise men, and the star and and all of those things. But since we've done that already, uh, we're going to not do a typical Christmas message this morning. We're going to approach the birth of Jesus from a a different perspective. We're going to look at what Jesus' birth reveals about God and his feelings toward us. And we're going to look at some of the different responses that people have towards God and what he's done for us and ultimately what our response should be. You know, when I was a kid, uh, I associated Christmas with getting gifts. I don't know if any of you can relate to that of Christmas time for you. Oftentimes growing up as a kid was, you know, just focused on the gifts that you would get. And and the reason that I did that is because this was the time of year that my family uh, gave and received gifts because growing up we didn't have much money. My parents weren't very uh, wealthy. And so it was the one time of year that they saved up money. It was the one time of year that my brother and sister and I saved up money, and we would actually give, you know, at least in our perspective, some nice gifts to one another. And so, you know, getting that gift is what excited me about Christmas. As, you know, December rolled around, I started thinking about what possibly uh, I might get this year. And, and I want you to take a second, and I want you to think about one of the greatest gifts that you were ever given for Christmas, It could have been a gift that you desperately wanted, and there Christmas morning you go and you unwrap it, and there it is, and you were so excited for it. It could have been a pet, a computer, an outfit, a TV. If your parents really had a lot of money, it could have been a car. But, you know, whatever it was, I want you to think about that gift that you thought was the greatest gift you got for Christmas. Now, for me, the greatest gift that I had for Christmas was a Sega Genesis video game console. Now, you might be looking at this picture and thinking to yourself, why in the world would that be the greatest gift you got for Christmas? The reason it was so great to me, not because it's so wonderful, even though that was like the top of the line thing back in the day, um, was because I didn't think I was going to get one. Actually, I didn't even ask for one because that was out of the price range of what my parents could afford. The only person who knew I wanted a Sega Genesis was my brother. My brother and I shared a room, and so when December would roll around, we would at night start talking about, you know, if you could have anything for Christmas, what would you want? And we'd go back and forth with different things, and I said, I'd want a Sega Genesis. And he said, oh, yes, that would be, you know, an awesome gift to get, but mom and dad can't afford it. 
So Christmas morning comes, and we usually took turns going from either oldest to youngest or youngest to oldest opening gifts. We didn't just come in there, and you know, my mom was very organized and wouldn't let just be like, be like savages and rip all the presents open. It's like one at a time, everybody has to watch each other. So this year, I'm the youngest. It went oldest to youngest, and so I'm watching the gifts being given out, and, and I noticed something that the gifts were a little cheap this year. Uh, my brother, who usually gives pretty good gifts, uh, he gets my dad some socks, my sister this Uh, plastic bracelet, my mom, this no-name brand of chocolates. And so when my gift was handed to me, I didn't expect very much. And so the first thing I open is the card. And the card says from mom, dad, Nathan, and Julie. Now that was odd because we used to just give separate gifts from each other. And so never was this joint thing going on. And so, you know, I'm saying, you know, what's going on? What is this? And they just say, well, open it and find out. So I, I tear open the wrapping paper and to my surprise and excitement, I see the words Sega Genesis and I tell them you know, how were you able to get it and my parents tell me that you know my brother came to them and said you know what Matthew wants a Sega Genesis really bad and I have an idea if we all pull our money together we can get one for him but if we do that that means the gifts that we would normally give to one another aren't going to be very good because we're not going to have much money left over and they decide you know what we want to do this and this is why the Sega Genesis for me was one of the greatest gifts I got for Christmas was because it demonstrated that my family loved me, that they were willing to sacrifice in order to get me something that I desired. You see, so often, this is what gifts are about. They're a demonstration of love. Think about it. I'm sure for a lot of you, the, the procrastinators, maybe not so much. A lot of you have probably shopped for most or all of your Christmas gifts already. Many of your men are thinking, well, there's still four more days, so I'm fine. But, you know, When you shop for gifts, usually who you spend the most money on are the people that you love the most. That's kind of the reality of it. And so, you know, you want to kind of demonstrate to them, hey, I'm buying you something that costs me something because I value you, because I love you. And I can guess that, you know, the, the... if I looked at the gifts that you got, you could tell who was most important in your life. And, you know, but that's okay. That's kind of what we do as we give gifts. You know, I would definitely spend more money on Jenny, on Scarlett, on Eden than I would on others because, you know, I love them more than anyone else. Now, I find this interesting that we do this during the Christmas season, that we give gifts to demonstrate our love for people because ultimately that is what the first Christmas was all about. It was all about the giving of a great gift that powerfully demonstrated the amazing love of the giver towards us. You see, the first thing I want us to look at this morning is that the birth of Jesus Christ reveals something very important about how God feels about us. The fact that he gave us his son reveals something very important about his feelings towards you and me. A very famous verse of scripture, you've probably heard it before, John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God showed that he loved us so much that he gave us something of great value, the most valuable thing that he could give his only son, Jesus Christ. Now, in order to understand just how loving and great a gift Jesus is, I think we need to understand first how he was given, and second, what he gave up, what he sacrificed 
for us. So let's first start with how Jesus was given for us. In John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 14, it says, And the Word, speaking of Jesus, became flesh, a man, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. What we're told in this verse is one of the most profound statements in the entire Bible. It speaks of one of the greatest events in all of history, one of the greatest miracles to be ever recorded in Scripture. The all-powerful God, the creator of heaven and earth, miraculously became a man. Jesus Christ was 100% God and 100% man at the same time. This mind-boggling and astounding miracle we call the incarnation, God becoming man. Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, was at one time omnipresent, which means that he was everywhere at once. And he was also all-powerful. All things were made through him. He created everything. The galaxies, the planets, the animals, most importantly, us. So Jesus' presence was everywhere at once. He was all-powerful, and he chose to give that up. He chose to go from heaven with all of that and then come to earth, giving up that omnipresence, giving up that power to become a helpless baby. You see, so often we just think Jesus, God's son, became a baby. Isn't that great? Or we see a little picture of baby Jesus in a manger, and we say, isn't that sweet? But oftentimes we don't stop to think about the amazing significance of that event, the amazing miracle that was. You know, we look at creation and we see God created everything. What an amazing miracle that is. And it is a great miracle. But I think even greater than that is that God chose to become part of his creation. Jesus became one of us and dwelt among us on this earth. Now, I think in order to really appreciate what Jesus did becoming a man, I think we need to start to try to think about what he sacrificed in order to do that. Because I think that's something that oftentimes we don't really consider enough. In 2 Corinthians, there's a good verse to help us kind of ponder that reality of what did Jesus sacrifice to become one of us. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Notice this verse says, Though Jesus was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor. But now if you've ever read through the life of Jesus, we're going through the Gospel of Luke, we're taking this you know, look at Jesus' life, you might wonder and ask the question, well, wait a second, when was Jesus rich? Was he rich when he was born in a barn, in a stable, laid in a manger? Well, no. Was he rich when he was the son of a poor carpenter living in a poor city in Nazareth? No. Was he rich when he said, you know, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the son of man doesn't even have a place to lay his head that Jesus in his adult life didn't even have a home for himself? Was he rich then? No. Or was he rich when he died and he had to be buried in someone else's tomb because he didn't have his own? No. Okay, well, when was Jesus rich? What is he talking about when he was rich? Well, Jesus was rich in heaven before he ever came to this earth as a baby. That's what Paul's talking about here in 2 Corinthians. Though he was rich, rich in heaven, before he ever came to this earth, though he was rich, he became poor. He became one of us. He came to this earth that we, through his poverty, might become rich 
rich. You see, oftentimes when people think about Jesus and you have conversations with them, especially people who aren't churchgoers, they usually think that Jesus' existence started in Bethlehem in a manger. You know, that's what they hear the story. That's when Jesus existence started because that's our concept you know people are born and that's when their existence starts and so when they think of Jesus's birth in Bethlehem they think that's when he started to exist but that's not the case Jesus is God he's always existed he existed forever before Bethlehem he existed in heaven on the throne before he ever came to this earth as a baby you know the words rich and poor that we see here in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, though Jesus was rich, but for our sake he became poor. I don't think our human language even does justice for how rich he was and how much he sacrificed for us. But I want us to take a moment to try as best as we can to ponder how rich, the riches of Jesus in heaven before he came to this earth. And the purpose of that is I want us to really think about what he sacrificed, what he gave up. In doing that. Now, when we think of riches, oftentimes the first thing that pops into our mind is possessions. I don't know what possessions you think would make you rich. Perhaps it's money, gold, jewelry, fancy cars, houses. You know, whatever it is that you think would make you rich, understand this. Jesus could create any of that at any point in time. He could fill heaven with it. The things that we think, the possessions that we think make you rich, Jesus could have it all. That's no problem for God. The Bible says he paves the streets of heaven with gold. I remember reading an article recently that a man was so rich that he bought his own island. And the article went on and just like, well, amazing, you know, how many billions he has. And he's able to buy his own island. And we think, man, that's someone who's pretty rich. Well, imagine someone who actually owned a country. You know, whoa, I mean, that's absurdly rich. Well, Jesus doesn't own just, you know, uh, an island or a country. He owns the entire world and the universe and everything because he's the creator of all of it. So Jesus was rich in possessions beyond anything we could comprehend. He could have anything he wanted by just speaking it into existence. And you know what? Jesus did speak all things into existence and he created it and it's his. Now, for some people... Possessions isn't what they think makes you rich. They think, you know, fame and honor, that's what really brings you to a rich status. Well, Jesus was also rich in honor and the most famous one in heaven. All day long, there are angels and creatures declaring how worthy he was to be praised, honoring him and worshiping him continually. Jesus had more honor and fame in heaven than all the people in this earth put together. So Jesus was rich in possessions. He was rich in honor and fame. But some people say, you know, what really makes you rich is power. That's what so many people are seeking and desiring. They want that. That's what makes you rich in their mindset. But you know what? Jesus was as rich in power as you could possibly be. There was nothing that he couldn't do. He is all powerful. You know, it's interesting in the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Old Testament is written in Hebrew. The New Testament was originally written in Greek. This word created is the Hebrew word bara. Now, the thing that's interesting about it means to create shape or form out of nothing. So Jesus created all of these things, heaven, earth, out of nothing. That's pretty powerful. You see, we have a lot of creative people today in this world, a lot of things that are created that are just amazing. The technology we have is so amazing, but none of them are creating things out of nothing. 
They have resources and materials that they're using to create these things. Jesus started with nothing and created everything out of nothing. You know, in our world, we often associate the greatest power with having power over people's lives. The power to control them, the power to execute them, the power to do what you want with them. That's, that's viewed as that's great power when you have power over people's lives. Well, the Bible says that Jesus is the ultimate judge of all the earth. He is complete power over the lives of everyone. That everyone, when they die, will stand before him in eternity. And he will be the one to determine where they will spend their eternity. He has ultimate power. So Jesus was rich in possessions and honor and fame and power. But, you know, others people think, you know what, what makes you rich is joy and peace. If you have joy and peace, that's really what life's about. Well, Jesus was as rich in joy and peace as you can be. As he sat in heaven on his throne, he was completely joyful. He was at complete peace. You see, Jesus didn't have anything that surprised him. He knew everything. He wasn't stressed. He wasn't worried. He wasn't wondering, you know, what's going to happen tomorrow or next week or next year. He knew everything that was going to transpire. He knew how everything would work out. He was in complete peace and full of joy. So when we say Jesus was rich in heaven before he came to this earth, our human language doesn't do it justice for how rich he truly was. He had everything, all possessions, all honor, all fame, all power, all joy, and all peace. Now, the reason I've tried to unpackage that for us is because I want us to really ponder something that's so important, and that is this, the sacrifice that Jesus gave in giving those things up for us. I want you to imagine something. We'll start with this illustration to maybe help you with that. Donald Trump's been in the the news a lot lately with his presidential campaign. And we know Donald Trump is a multi-billionaire. Imagine if Donald Trump today announced, you know what, I'm going to sacrifice all my money. I'm going to give it all away to the poor. We would think giving billions away to the poor, that's a pretty huge sacrifice. We'd probably be impressed with that. But if he went and took it a step further and you said, you know what, and I'm also giving away all my authority and all my power, all the businesses I own, all the authority I have, the CEO, the positions, the power, I'm giving it all to other people. I'm stepping back. I don't have any of that anymore, and I'm not going to run for president. I don't want that anymore. Some of us might cheer for that. But the reality is he just gives it all away. We would step back and say, that's a pretty huge sacrifice for someone to give up those huge amount of possessions and that huge amount of authority and power that they have. But let's maybe get it a little more personal. Imagine that this earth had one ruler, one person that had complete power and authority to do what they wanted. And imagine that person was you. Whatever you said, people had to do. Whatever you wanted, people had to give it to you. All power, all possessions, all authority, all honor, all fame, all happiness, all peace, everything was yours. Now try to imagine what a tremendous sacrifice it would be to give it up. To give up that rule, to give up that authority, to give up that power, to give up those possessions. I mean, you have complete control and now you have to relinquish it all. Imagine the kind of sacrifice that would be but you know what jesus sacrificing leaving heaven to come to this earth is a million times more sacrificial than that analogy of us having this complete power and giving it up you know what actually something that really doesn't even fit in our analogy something that would maybe be more fitting to what jesus did 
Because you know what? You could give up everything and you could become a helpless baby, but understand this, becoming a baby is still human. It's still what you are. But Jesus had to demean himself to become something much inferior to who he is, God becoming human. You see, we don't think, well, God becoming human, what's the big deal? Because we, we see ourselves as so wonderful. But imagine in our analogy, instead of giving up all your authority and your power and becoming a baby, you instead have to become something inferior. I do bug treatment uh, throughout the week, and, and one of the most nasty bugs there are are cockroaches, and I'm sure many of you get them in your house. But imagine if you said, you know what, I'm not only going to give all this up, and lose all my authority, lose all my power, lose all my possessions, but I have to give up being a person and have to become something that is beneath me, which is a cockroach. And I have to live as a cockroach, and then I have to be killed by filthy cockroaches. That would be probably a much more uh, accurate analogy to what Jesus did, because he became something inferior to who he was. It wasn't just that he gave up all these amazing things in heaven. He also became one of us, very inferior to who the God of all creation is. And the thing I want you to take from all of this is understand the huge sacrifice that would be. Not only the, the, the amazing miracle that is of God becoming one of us, but think about the sacrifice that Jesus had to give to give those things up for us doing this. So when you think of the birth of Jesus, when you see the nativity scene, when you see a picture of baby Jesus, I want you to think about this amazing miracle of the all-powerful, all-present, all-knowing God choosing to come and indwell a powerless and helpless baby. And I want you to think about the huge sacrifice that it was. I want you to think about how much Jesus gave up in order to do that. And there's something else I want you to think about as well. The incarnation, God becoming man, it's something that is so profound and so amazing. But for me, there's something even more amazing, and that is the reason why. Why would God do that? Why would God sacrifice so much? Well, let's go back to 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 and read it again. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes... He became poor, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. So why did Jesus leave the riches of heaven, the glory of heaven, the possessions, the honor, the fame, all that he had? Why would he sacrifice that? Why would he give that up? The answer to that question is you and me. Jesus gave up his riches in heaven and became poor like us so that you and I could have those riches. He sacrificed all the riches so that we could have those as well. He became poor like us so that we could become rich like him. He left heaven to come to this earth so that we could leave this earth and go with him to be in heaven. But another important question is why would Jesus be willing to do that for us? Well, why would he sacrifice that for us? Why would he become poor like us so that we could be rich like him? Well, as I mentioned earlier, it's because of his great love for us for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life Jesus was willing to sacrifice for us why because he loves us so deeply he gave up all those things all the honor all the possessions all the fame all the power because of his great love for us that is what motivated him to do that 
he was willing to do anything to come and ultimately save us from our sin. You see, the incarnation, God becoming man, is the start of God's redemptive plan to save mankind. Our sin has separated us from God, and the only way to repair that separation was ultimately for God to pay the price for our sins. And the only way that God could pay for our sin is if he became one of us and then died for us. So God chose to do something miraculous. He chose to do something sacrificial. He chose to become one of us. He chose to come as a baby, be born to the Virgin Mary. He chose to do that because he loves us. And that miracle was the start of the plan to pay the price for our sins. He didn't just come to be born. He came to be born and then to live a sinless life, ultimately to sacrifice his life on the cross for our sins. Jesus was willing to sacrifice the riches he had in heaven to come and become one of us and to give his life for us and die for the sins that we should be paying for. But he took the punishment that we deserve. Why? Because he loves us so much. He did it so that we could be forgiven of our sins, so that we could have everlasting life with him in heaven. But the only way to receive that forgiveness of your sins, the only way to receive those riches, the only way to receive eternal life in heaven is if you accept the sacrifice that Jesus has done on your behalf. You have to ask him to forgive you of your sin. You have to ask him to come into your life. You have to accept what he has done for you. You see, God was willing to become one of us. He was willing to sacrifice all those things. He was willing to die on the cross for our sin. He has done all the work, but he says, I'm not going to force you to accept it. I'm not going to force you to accept me. I've given it to you. It's a free gift, but you have to choose to take it. You have to choose to receive it. You have to choose to accept me. And if you do, I will forgive you of your sins. If you do, I will make it possible now for you to come and be with me in heaven for all eternity. God gave you and I the greatest gift he ever could. He gave us his son. And I want you to understand that gift demonstrates how much God loves you. This is something I really want you to remember every time you think of the Christmas story, every time you picture baby Jesus, every time you open a gift during Christmas, remember the gift that God gave us. First point I want you to think about this morning. Jesus is the greatest gift that we have ever been given, which powerfully demonstrates how much God loves us. You know, sometimes people have this this question, does God love me? Look at the cross. Look at Jesus. Look at what he's done. He has shown you in the most powerful way how much he deeply loves you. God didn't give you a cheap gift that cost him nothing. You see, it's a gift, and we think, oh, it's free. Yes, it's free to us, but it cost Jesus his life. It was a very costly gift. He didn't give you a cheap gift. He gave you the most costly gift he could because he loves you more than you can comprehend. John chapter 15, verse 13 says, Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friend. Jesus says, you know what? The greatest demonstration of love is to give your life for someone else. And that's exactly what God did. He says, I'm going to show you how much I love you. I'm going to demonstrate the greatest demonstration of love there is. I'm going to give you my own life. I'm going to lay down my life for you. You see, Christmas is not just a story about a star and some shepherds and some wise men and a baby being born in a manger. It's a powerful love story. 
God loves you and me so much that he humbled himself and was born as a helpless baby. He became one of us. He sacrificed all he had in heaven to come be one of us. Why? Because he is in deep love with us, more than we can comprehend. So the giving of a gift usually reveals the love of a giver. And God giving his son to die and to be born for us reveals the great love he has for us. But you know what? How we respond when we receive a gift usually reveals our appreciation for the giver. Your response reveals whether you appreciate the gift or not. You know, many years ago before I was married, uh, I spent Christmas in Dallas, Texas with uh, my sister and her husband who lived there. And uh, her husband's name is Jason. And, And we went to Jason's parents' house on Christmas Day. And Jason's brother was there as well, and, and his brother had a son whose name is Royce, and, and Royce was one of the most spoiled kids. At that point in time, he was eight uh, that I had met, and Royce is getting gift after gift after gift after gift, and, and his family has you know, a lot of resources, and so they're, they're getting him a lot of really nice gifts. And then finally, his grandmother takes him into the garage to give him her gift, and she's so excited about it. She spent all this money on it, and she thinks, oh, he's going to love it so much. And uh, so she brings him into the garage, and, and she bought him basically looks like this. It was a, a miniature um, Jeep that's, you know, powered by battery, could go off-roading. It was, you know, an awesome little thing. It was basically better than my first car. Uh, and so when I saw it, I thought, man, that is a pretty cool gift. I was ready to take little eight-year-old Royce and toss him off there and, and drive it myself. But he gets on that thing, and he's only on there for about 15, 20 seconds. And then he stops, hops out, and says, this thing bleeping stinks. The one I have is so much better, and walks back in the house. And his grandma's there, and she starts crying, one, because he swore, and two, because of the lack of appreciation. She spent all this money getting this gift. She thinks, oh, this is so great. He's going to love it. And that's how he responds. Well, not too long after that, my niece, Madeline, she gets a gift from the same grandmother, this beautiful white dress, and she sees it, and she's so excited, and she starts stripping down right there, ready to put on this uh, dress, and she's going to everyone, oh, look at this dress, isn't it so wonderful, and she was so appreciative, she gives this big hug, she says thank you, she wants to tell everybody how amazing this gift is, and once again, grandma cries, now this time it's tears of joy. Now, I don't understand why women cry when they're happy, but grandma's crying now, and, you know, she's so happy that she appreciates, uh, Madeline appreciates this gift that she gave her. You see, how you respond when you receive a gift usually reveals your appreciation for the giver. Royce had an amazing gift. It was actually better than the dress, more expensive than the dress, but yet he didn't appreciate the fact that his grandmother spent all that money on him Madeline, on the other hand, greatly appreciated the gift that she was given. And you could tell whether or not they appreciated it by the way they responded to the gift that they were given. Royce swears and says this stinks and walks away. Madeline loves it and is so appreciative. She rejoices, she kisses, she hugs, she tells everybody about it. You know, in the same way, you can tell how people appreciate or not what God has given to them by how they respond to it. God has given Jesus Christ to us. He's given us the gift of salvation. But you know what? There are many different responses to that wonderful 
gift. Sadly, many people today respond like Royce did to his gift. You know, this stinks. I don't care that Jesus died for me. I don't want that. You know, my life's fine the way it is. I'm just going to live how I want to live. What I have is better. Others respond like Madeline with rejoicing and thanksgiving and love and, and appreciation, and they receive it joyfully and desire it and tell everybody about it. But you know what? After a little bit of time, a few months, like lots of kids, that gift that Madeline got, she wasn't showing everybody it anymore. She wasn't as excited about it anymore. That initial receiving of it, oh, I want to tell everybody, but you know, that gift kind of got hung in the closet and you know, didn't get thought of much anymore. And there's kind of a third response that we also see from people today, and that is there's that initial excitement, that initial the love, that initial response of accepting the gift and telling everyone about it. But then all of a sudden, it just kind of gets put on the shelf. We're not so excited about it anymore. We're not really telling many people about it anymore. There was a point in time in our life where we received that gift of salvation and, and we wanted to tell everybody about it. But months or years go by and now all of a sudden it's not so important to us anymore. I'm confident that God is greatly saddened by those who first and foremost reject the gift of salvation. Imagine what he gave up. He says, I gave all this up for you. I sacrificed myself for you. Here's a free gift so that you can be forgiven of your sin, so that you can have a relationship with me, so that you can spend eternity with me in heaven. I give it to you freely. And when people reject that, how heartbroken he is. But you know what? I think God is also saddened by those who accept it but then kind of don't really tell anybody about it anymore. It's not so important in their life anymore. You know, it's kind of that thing that, oh, that was nice in the past. I loved what I got, but I don't really care to reveal to others the significance of it. But you know what? God has brought great joy when we accept that gift, when we're thankful, when we're appreciative, when we continue to be appreciative year after year after year of, Lord, what you've given to me I don't deserve, and I want to let everyone know what an amazing gift this is. How much do you appreciate the gift God has given you in Jesus Christ? Your appreciation is going to be seen in how you have responded to that gift. Have you responded like Royce with a complete rejection of it? You don't want it. You haven't accepted it. You haven't asked Jesus to forgive you. You haven't asked him to come into your life. You just pushed that gift aside. Or have you responded like others who maybe have accepted it at one point in time, but really it's not something that you tell people about. It's not something that you're excited about anymore. Or have you received it like Madeline with thankfulness and love and desire to tell everyone you can? You know, if you're here and you've accepted Christ, but yet you found over the years it's just been something that you haven't really communicated to people. It's not something you're excited about much anymore. Don't let the significance of what God has done in your life fade. Don't stop telling everyone about how wonderful it is, what he's done for you and for me. You know, as you think of the amazing gift that God has given to you, I want you first to remember Jesus is the greatest gift we have ever been given which powerfully demonstrates how much God loves us. And second, remember to show God you appreciate what he's done for you by thanking him, living for him, and telling others about him. You know, I challenge you in a few days as you're opening up your gifts, as you're spending time with family, as you're doing whatever it is you do on Christmas Day, to take a moment to really 
Think about how much God loves you. Take some time to think about the gift that's going to be far superior to anyone that's under your tree, the gift that God has given you, the one that he sacrificed on your behalf to give to you, and really ponder that. Ponder how much he loves you. Ponder what he did for you. And I would encourage you to take some time to tell others about how wonderful a gift that is. Because our our time this year is so commercialized and it's so much about Santa and it's so much about so many other things that really the true heart of the Christmas season of Jesus Christ and what he's done is kind of being silenced and pushed to the side. And we as Christians have the, the voice, the opportunity to share with family and friends of, you know what, well for me, what this season is all about is Jesus and let me tell you about him and let me tell you what he's done for you and let me tell you the huge gift that he's given to you. Don't just reflect on these things on Christmas because 24 hours a day, seven days a week, this wonderful gift is available for people and we have the opportunity to share that gift with them. Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful, so grateful for your love because none of us here deserve it. It is mind-boggling to think about all that you were willing to sacrifice for us. All that you had, all that you were willing to give up to become one of us and to live in this world and to give your life for us and to take the punishment that each one of us deserves. It is mind-boggling to think of how much you love each and every one of us. And we just want to take time this morning just to thank you for that to thank you for your love, to thank you for what you've done. As this Christmas season comes around, Lord, that we wouldn't get so focused on so many other things that distract from what is most important, which is you. That here this morning, we just want to remember you, remember what you've done, remember to show our appreciation and to say thank you. Thank you for giving your life. Thank you for coming and being one of us. Thank you for taking our sin upon yourself. As everyone's eyes are closed and heads are bowed, if you're here this morning, and up to this point you've been like Royce, you've been rejecting this free gift of salvation that God has offered to everyone. If this morning you want to make a choice to accept Jesus Christ, to ask him to forgive you of your sins, to ask him to come into your life, I want to give you that opportunity right now this morning. If you just raise your hand, I want to pray with you. If you want to accept Christ this morning, You want his forgiveness. You want the confidence that when you die, you will go and be with him in heaven for all eternity. I want to give you that opportunity this morning to have that. Anyone here this morning, just go ahead, raise your hand. I want to pray with you. Anyone want to accept Christ that has not done it yet? You know, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. I think so often we get convinced that, you know what, I can push this off. I can do this next week or next month or next year. But the reality is we don't know if we have tomorrow. We don't know if we have next week. We don't know if we have next month. We don't know when our life's going to end. And the reality is we have this life and this life alone to get right with Jesus Christ, to ask him to forgive us of our sin, to accept him into our life. And so don't push it off. Don't postpone it. If right now... God's working in your heart and you feel that you need to come and accept him, I encourage you right now, if that's something you want to do, raise your hand. I want to pray with you this morning. Anyone here? 
<laughs> well, the wonderful thing is, once you accept him, you have him. And we praise the Lord for that. Well, let's pray. Father, we are grateful. Lord, I know there's room full of people who have accepted you. And we are so grateful for the change in our life, for the fact that you've paid the penalty for our sin, Lord. But I know that so often we can become those who, you know what, we get dull to the reality of what you've done. We get dull to the sacrifice that it was, and that excitement to share with others kind of just fades over time sometimes, unfortunately, Lord. And I just pray that for those of you who have accepted, Lord, that for those of us who have made that choice to follow you, that you would just give us a greater desire to share that with others, especially at this time of year when you are supposed to be the focal point that we would take time with family who doesn't know you, with friends who don't know you, with coworkers who don't know you, and we would just share what Christmas means to us, and we would give that, get that opportunity just to talk about you and what you've done. And that excitement for who you are and how you've changed our life would be evident as we share with others the amazing gift that you've given to us. And so, Lord, we are grateful. We are thankful. We know we do not deserve what you've given to us, but we do want to say that we love you, but we know that we only love you because you first loved us, and you showed how much you love us by sacrificing yourself on our behalf. And so help us as we come into this Christmas day and season to really reflect upon you and your love for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.